Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Have we got a show in store for you? So looking forward to talking with Lee Chose. Now, you may or may not recognize that name, but you've seen his photographic work on catalogs, magazine covers, you name it, he's done it. He is the guy who makes all of us jealous when his pictures come out. We're all striving for that. But in addition to being an incredible photographer, Lee is also the founder of Boss Shot Gels. We're going to talk about the state of non-toxic ammo, and Lee is going to make arguments for uplanders using non-toxic even before the feds impose a regulation like that and it's only a matter of time we'll talk cocker spaniel puppies we'll get some photo tips from a master and you will put your two cents worth in on where your dog rides crate shotgun backseat or whatever and coming up very soon we'll take a public access trip down to texas yeah, I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. So stick around here on the Upland Nation podcast. Little closer to home first, uh, valley quail are my species to study this next couple seasons. So I'm doing it here at home. Yeah, get to do a lot of homework right here. We have a um, a bit of a population where mainly because we're the only water source for 30 miles due south of us. So we we get a lot of that in our backyard, and I decided to start using that as a little Labrador laboratory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now there's a Freudian slip. And then also, for selfish reasons, I'll be writing a few stories on valley quail in the next couple of years. And so having a lot of fun with that, one of the... Uh, one of the indirect benefits is with all these birds coming in, Flick is getting some wild bird contacts well before the season starts, and I'm grateful for that as well. We all need as much help as we can get. In the last week or so, it's been fascinating. He's hit a point twice within oh, 100 yards of the backyard here. We, we're on a national forest right there. Uh, he'll lock up. I'll walk in. I'll fly the birds where I think they are and make sure they get up and knock wood. He's been steady. And then behind him, another bunch gets up. You know, there's 15, 18 birds in each of those two bunches. I don't want to think they're two separate coveys. They're close enough together that I think they're just kind of in the same area, same covey, split up a little bit. And he just ends up right between them threading the needle there but i'm not sure anybody else seen anything like that whether it's valleys or any other kind of quail i guess the big news out of all that is um, he's steady to wing and shot we're not killing anything yet but um, that's a step in the right direction got myself a new little toy play shotgun for the close-in stuff it makes a pretty good noise so uh, if you're not going into the toy department at your department store for training gear once in a while it might be worth a look too you know the other thing um and maybe you've had this discussion over a campfire or uh, uh, bellied up to the bar um why not supplemental feeding as a way to build wildlife populations i understand the arguments against it i remember some of the vicious winters of 10 20 30 years ago where on the big game side they were doing that as a last resort but i gotta tell you 
in our little quail population, if you do the right feeding in the right places, then you get a double and sometimes a triple hatch. It's been working here. Why don't any of the game and fish agencies take a look at some of that? That's a question for your next meeting with the biologist in your region here on the Upland Nation podcast, where we're made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, True Locks Choke Tubes, True Lock Choke Tubes, and FurFeathersFriends.com. Yes, Virginia, there is publicly accessible private land for the average Joe, even in a state known for ranches so big you can see them from space. That's Texas. Yeah, the home of private jet landings and big dollar hunting operations uh, does have a way for you to hunt game birds for $40, 48 bucks. That'll get you an annual public hunting permit, and it does open thousands of acres of walk-in private property. I went on and dug around a little. There's a long list. You go by county, by county, by county in there. Start packing your RV and get that permit, and then head for Texas. You do want to mess with it. Public ground in Texas. Indeed. Good luck. We're brought to you in part by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. You know, they do a great job of teaching. You'll have to watch this season and see how I do, thanks to Dave and Vandy. But they also have an incredible pro shop. If you are just now realizing, "Ah, I need hearing protection, or I need a new gun case, or whatever it is, they've got it. Shooting glasses from all the big names, hearing protection from ESP, and a few other varieties of hearing protection. Those new Negrini cases, gun sleeves and slip cases, range bags, gun cleaning supplies, they've got it all. Go to midvalleyclays.com. Poke around in their pro shop. They may have something that uh, you need as well. Midvalleyclays.com. And once you're done poking around on that website, go to HuntHuronSD.com. They're the ringneck nation. I'll be there this year, and maybe you want to go too. Want a late season hunt with a challenge? Go to the Ringneck Festival and Bird Dog Challenge in November. 124,000 acres of public access all season. Get a free information pack with maps, discounts, and other information. It's all at Hunt here on sd.com well this guy is harder to reach than the celebrities the pro athletes the governors and senators i've interviewed over the years his name is lee chose and while you may or may not recognize the name, you will recognize his work. He is an incredible outdoor photographer. And we will be talking a lot about that and how you can kind of maybe improve some of your work in that world. And then also, we're finally going to dive deep into the non-toxic shot issue. So if you're agonizing over whether Uplanders need to use it or not, Lee's going to make that clear to all of us. Lee? Chose, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. 
<laughs> I've never had a intro quite like that, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this since you uh, since you called. Sorry it took so long to get me dialed in on all the technology, but we're good to go now. Yeah, literally and figuratively. In fact, uh, one of the funny things is how, you know, guys like you and me, uh, we spend more time in other area codes than in our own area code. Where have you been in the last few weeks? Oh, man, I just got home from Saskatchewan uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. It could have been. It could have been yesterday. Um, But, yeah, I do. I travel a lot. I went in the last couple of few weeks. I drove from here out to the shop in Stevensville, Michigan. That's where Boss Shot Shells is. I went there, picked up a bunch of ammunition, and then went down to a writer hunt that we were sponsoring for Benelli with their Super Black Eagle 328 gauge. I brought the shells down there, and I was down in that Venice area, hunting oh, blue-winged teal. Yeah. And then I went right from there up to western Saskatchewan, right on the border of Saskatchewan and Alberta. So it's been, I've been gone a lot, yeah. Oh, I my butt hurts just hearing about that because you're driving a lot of that now, aren't you? All of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you like you look at one of those trips and it says it's 20 hours and you're like, I got three days to get there and that's 40 hours of driving. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I was thinking of you just a few days ago, I was booking a, an airline ticket and I was, I was thinking, you know, that, that probably really affected you and your industry when you, during the pandemic, when you couldn't, couldn't get on a plane very often. Oh, that when COVID hit, I, you could, I don't know how it was if with, like what you do in your travel, but as a big location photographer, it, it killed all the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it killed, it killed it. Yep. And I'm in it still, it's nowhere near back to normal. I think people have found, in fact, I'm not even going to say back to normal. This is normal. This is it. Yeah. It, it will be, for, it is truly the new normal for our, <laughs> for our generation. Yep. People have found a new way of doing things, um, doing business, staying connected. Um, yeah, it's oh, it it crushed location photography. Oh, I, I mean, it. Uh, well, you know, I'm older, so I'm very established, and there are still a number of companies that still want me to do their work. So I'm still traveling and shooting, but boy, it killed a lot of it. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that because most people who will recognize you or your work probably saw it on a magazine cover or a catalog or something like that. Who are some of the uh, familiar names that upland hunters in particular would recognize? Oh, all the all the sport dog work for probably the past 15 years and wow. um, all, all of Benelli's work for 16 or 17 years. Um, lots of the lots of the gun companies um under armor outdoors i did a bunch of work for cabela's and bass pro back in the day i've shot many many covers for ducks unlimited shooting sportsman cubby rise wildfall gun dog i mean i've a lot you know you know you are the guy who probably makes it so hard for me to sell stories to shooting sportsmen <laughs> oh, sorry about that. God bless him. I love it. Ralph Stewart, if you're listening, yeah. you are the best editor in the universe. You really make me a better writer. But I but we've had this discussion two or three times. He says, I love your words, but I hate your pictures. Hmm. Well, that's 
I don't know about that, but Ralph is a great editor. I'll tell you that. He's yeah. a great person. He's, yes, he is. I've, yeah, I've been, I bet I've been shooting covers for them for 20 years. Well, just just a little insider information on that. How does how, how does that work for a guy of your caliber? Does Ralph just call you and say, "I want a picture of a small monster lander on the water," or what? Hmm. Typically, he'll send out a request and he'll say, "You know how?" Um, I, and I, I hope this doesn't sound or come off as being like pompous or whatever. But lots of other people, shooters like they'll submit work right yeah yeah i don't i don't submit work yeah i they they i did yeah i did back in the day but now they're like hey they'll call me you know like could be john timms from covey rise or callie from gundog or yeah. doug barnes from du any of them could call and say ralph and say hey i'm looking for a really cool waterfall cover do you have anything nice of a dog with a bird yep and i and i say and if i don't i'll go shoot you one yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's so. funny uh there is an evolution you're absolutely right and, oh for sure and, yeah you uh, earn your you earn your stripes here for sure right yeah, yeah exactly it's and it's flattering and it's 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 gratifying when people are calling you instead of the other way around mm-hmm. well it is it is it is flattering and it's a um it's it it never get it never gets old. Yeah, well, you... it, it I love hearing from them. I love talking to them. I love talking about how business is, how are things going, and if I can help with a cool cover, or a cool feature, yeah, just tell me what tell me what it is. So so sure. so let's get creative here for a minute because this is the stuff that inspires us. That's that's what sells the magazines in large part, and mm-hmm. or it sells an electric collar or whatever else. What is mm-hmm. I mean. I don't want a trade secret, but I want to know what what do you think about when you're trying to make a picture? Mm, I have a I have a tagline at Chose Outdoors that holds made sense to me when I started, and it still holds true today. And it's capture a moment, tell a story, move the people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. I look at that and I'm like, okay, first thing, I have it in my head at the end, what I want it to look like, what I want the consumer to feel, and it has to tell a story. It has to, right? Otherwise, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just another picture, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think about that and then I think about how I'm going to capture it. And then I put it together and then I love Photoshop. I love retouching. Um, I, I like, I like it when people turn, turn a page and they go, I chose shot that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I joke about it cause I, I, I've been lucky enough to work with some great photographers and maybe someday you and I will work together on something. Mm, my, my hope so. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm but, not getting any younger. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, but we, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, um, but I used to joke with a lot of them. I I would I would tell them, you know, most of the time you just get lucky, right? You're in the right place at the right time, and you you got your finger on the shutter, mm-hmm. and, and I th- I'm sure that happens a little bit. But you just talked about oh, tell- you, you're telling a story. Do you know what the story is, and do you compose this in your head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so there's two. I I think there's two worlds, at least in my in my life, in my work life. 
One's editorial photography and one's commercial photography. To me, they're completely different. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so commercial photography is I know who I'm working for. Yeah. The good thing is for them is I'm authentic in this space. I'm, I'm like a creative director with a camera. Yeah, so, but, yeah but not a 29-year-old creative director on Park Avenue. I mean, that, no. That is the no. the running joke in our world, isn't it? No, I'm yeah. no, I'm yeah, I mean no, I'm born to it. Yeah. I mean, I've never I've never known anything other than what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I just I just happen to be on the creative side of the world. Right? And that's by no that's by no work of my own and I'm not saying that <clears throat> I'm not saying that the work I've done through my career is not hard work because it's really hard work. Right? But what I'm saying is like the the talent part, I guess, and I yeah. like to tell people, it's just, it's the way I see it. Yeah. I see things different, right? Well, you can't take credit for the fact that you see things different. We all know where that comes from, right? I mean, you can, que- you can question, like, what source it comes from. That's that's up to each person, but there's no question that that ability to see things comes from outside of me. No doubt about it. So does it come from uh, your uh, outdoors uh, upbringing and oh, who knows what else? Yeah, for sure. Mom yeah. and dad and yeah. mom and dad, the way I grew up when a little kid on a hunting and fishing resort in northern Minnesota. And dad was a traveling sportsman before it was before it was even a thing, I think. I mean, he, <laughs> he I mean, I would read buy books like Jack O'Connor back in the day. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know? Jimmy Robinson's duck hunting adventures and stuff like that. And my dad, by the time I was 13 years old, I think I'd hunted and fished in 13 different states and four provinces. Wow. You know, so when I was a little kid, I really didn't know anything other than, holy cow, look at that. And then I was so blown away by what I was seeing that I think that's what got the art part going like yeah. I draw them, I'd carve them, I would paint them, I'll photograph them. And I tell people about photography, no one takes a picture of something they don't want to remember. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. And and that, it, it, honest, honest to God, man, you, you and the listeners on here right now, you could go through your phone because you've taken them with your phone. And they're and they're spectacular. Oh, they might not be the sharpest and the most colorful, and there might be a photo merge, or you know, you might have cut somebody's arm or leg off or what. It doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. Trust me. Print them. You got to print them. You got to get them off your phone. Otherwise, someday it's just electronic dust. <laughs> right? You got to print them and then make a bag, and then somebody's going to pick that bag up in fifty years and go, "Holy shit! Look at Grandpa." Yeah. Yeah. Right. Isn't that the truth? Oh, it's absolutely the truth. You, you know, oh, we talk about why we go hunting, and uh, and it's you know it's the usual suspect. Is we love watching our dogs first. We like to be with other cool people. We like the beautiful places we go, but I think we also like the memories that come from them, and we and we kind of oh. we kind of minimize that. Oh man, who doesn't want to see a who doesn't want to look back and see a picture of their old dog? Yeah, really? Yeah kids grandkids daughters daughters that first started to get into hunting their first green head whatever 
Yeah. You know, you and I brought up, you and I brought up, we we're talking a little while ago about Tom Dockin, right? Yeah. Okay. Doc told me years ago, this is three decades ago for sure. And he goes, a dog will keep a guy in this a lot longer than they normally would have been. And that's a fact. Yeah, well, that is, you're 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 gonna go hunting just to take the dog for a walk. Yeah, you know he he somebody else quoted him on this podcast not four or five weeks ago. I I should write this stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever had Doc on? Yeah, yeah. In oh fact, yeah, he, he's, fan, oh, he's fantastic. It's about time to get him back. I'll I'll get him yeah. back. Uh, yeah. One of my big regrets as as the pandemic pandemic set in, he and I would sit at the front of the Cabela store in Mitchell, South Dakota, on opening weekend and uh, mm-hmm. sign books and and that sort of thing. <laughs> that was yeah. about the only time we get caught yeah. up. Now, uh, mm-hmm. hey, that stuff's over and done with. So, Very cool. Oh yeah. Well, well, good on you. Now, if you couldn't be here with me on the phone, because this is, I'm, I'm sure, one of the highlights of your professional uh, life so far. It is right what, up there with right up there with photographing Brokaw, Tom Brokaw, and there Kirk Cody. Because that's what I'm going to ask. Where would you be, and what would you be doing today? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd be hunting rough grouse in northern Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. I'd be there right now. Tell me more, because this is a, a game I don't play very often. But I, when I do, it's up well, there. It's up I there. I grew up. I I grew up in northern Minnesota, and you know, when you're a young boy, you you know, you're with dad or whatever, and there's you kind of did. You well, you really. I told you, I traveled a lot with dad, right? Yeah. yeah. And, but you really liked home. I loved hunting rough grouse. I loved hunting snowshoe rabbits. I loved hunting. Back then, it was there was in my area. There's really no mallards. It was all diver duck hunting. Yeah. Right. So yeah. early in the year, it was ringneck ducks. Then the bluebills would show up. Then late season whistlers would show up, and that's kind of what that deal was, you know. And then net whitefish and things like that that you did local things. I I loved that. Well, the rough grouse never got out of me i mean they're just they're just the coolest when you hunt them and you've been around them maybe you're for you know all your life i mean they they that bird is bar none the coolest upland bird to me that there is i mean they are they're they're what I like to tell people, like when it comes to photography or work or whatever, they're like, what are you into? Well, I'm into wild things in wild places. Rough girls are wild. You can't make it up. Pheasants, you yeah. can make it up. Yeah. Other things, you can make it up. You can't make rough girls hunting up. It's hard. They kick your butt. You go one for 10 when you think you're a pretty good shot. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a good average for me, by the way. <laughs> they're humbling, yeah. right? But they're just beautiful. They taste good. They're cool. They're hard to get to sometimes. Uh, they take, you know, great dogs help a ton. It just, they're little guns, 28 gauges, and, and I just love everything about it. I, I remember. So that's where I'd be. Yeah, I wrote a story. In fact, I think it was for RGS Magazine back when they, they called it that. I wrote a story and I said, now I understand why hardcore grouse hunters count all the flushes they hear and never see. <laughs> right. 
it, it's 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 that sometimes that's as close as you're going to get. I was on I, the other night because I really I love the conservation organizations and I love supporting them. So I was on the rough grouse one the other night, and I looked and it was opening day, and they posed a question, you know, hey, how's it going for everybody, you know, and the comments start coming in. And exactly what you said. Yeah. We had moved this many birds, 25 flushes, two in the bag. And that really. Great day. That's re- <laughs> real. Isn't it true? I mean, you can go goose hunting and see 5,000 geese. Yeah. No, I, I understand completely. I mean, yep. you know, look at their whistle, right. look at their whistle yep. lanyards. They got two counters. They got bird counters on them. Yep. They got one one for shot birds and and one for flushes. Yep. Well, yep. I, I understand completely. I, well, it, it, well, part of it, a big part of that rough grouse woodcock game is the dog, right? Yeah. And the dog gets points for fines. That's uh-huh. his game. Yeah. That's it. He did the deal. Yep. He did it. He did the deal. You didn't come. You, we didn't get luck, or the flesh was weird. It was too thick, which is normally what it is. Yeah. But you, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Someday yep. I'm going to reinvent skeet by placing uh, a couple dozen telephone poles <laughs> in the field there. Then it'll be back to its roots, you know. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Shoot, yeah. Got to shoot that bird. You got to shoot that clay target in between these two poles. Yeah, I got no taxidermy. Right. I got no taxidermy in this studio here, but I've got a framed alder branch. That was my trophy on the last RGS. Oh yeah, big hunt. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. So um, you mentioned something important to both of us and to virtually everybody who listens to this: uh, dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why we go. And you've got. A new, you got a new addition to your family over there, don't you? Oh boy, do we ever! He's and he's really cool. Yeah, yeah. We have a, we have a, a field bred cocker from the UK that I, I, I don't know if anybody's heard of uh, the Rigland, Rigland Kennels. Jay Lowry and Buffy Chandler over there are doing the best work with a field bred cocker, and I mean they are spectacular. Well, I saw some of the videos, and we're going to talk about that and more. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me remind everybody, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Lee Chose. Lee is an incredible outdoor photographer, and he's also the uh, one of the founders of Boss Shot Shells. We're going to talk non-toxic ammo for Uplanders in the second half of this show. But right now, let's, let's get back to the really important stuff and talk about uh, that new cocker of yours. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, a cup a few years back, you know the magazine Covey Rice, oh, John yeah. Tim's there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't know if any if you remember the cover of a, a liver male cocker on the cover. I think it was and, the only copy I had. Uh, I had a story in. Are you, are you kidding me? So no. <laughs> in the, so in there in in there, there's a feature. And the dog's name is Elvis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that dog, I was, I'm a duck hunter, hardcore duck hunter from the north, and I'm going to go down and shoot this feature for Sport Dog and Covey Rice at Sincola um, Wild Quail Plantation, you know, in that Thomasville, Georgia area. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it'll be a nice vacation. And I'm like, yeah, Bob White or whatever, yeah, they're cute, whatever. I'll go down and do it. Then I go down there and I'm like, oh, wow, is this a cool game? Yeah. That bird spectacular, 
the country's spectacular. And I'm like, I can't believe that I haven't given that more credit than I have in my life. And now I'm just, I'm made up with it. Well, on the wagon. So there's always a couple braces of, you know, big going English pointers on the ground that are just fantastic dogs. They lock up on point, horses stop, you get off the horse, you pull your gun out of the scabbard like a gentleman or a lady would, and you cock it, and you drop two shells in, and you walk up, and they're holding, and the birds flush, and hopefully you get a couple or whatever, and then this guy named David on the wagon sends, says, send Elvis. And down he goes, and it's this whirling dervish of a of a of a of a brown dog that I mean just like a yeah. vacuum cleaner. Oh yeah. And then he gets him and he runs up in that the steps up into the wagon, gives the bird back down, goes gets another one, comes back, and I'm like, holy man, is that yeah. dog cool? Yeah. Well then he gets done with hunting. And he goes home with the family, and he jumps in the swimming pool with the kids, and he's doing the backstroke, and you know, it's just, I'm like, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a cocker someday. I know. I, there's well, a, then, there is no twelve step program for this dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need to admit you're powerless, that your life has become unmanageable, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll tell you, you know, a funny story. We, yeah. you know, when we're making TV shows, you know, on the West Coast, it was a few years later, but every hunting preserve in, in the West has now uh, traded out their flushing labs for flushing cockers on the pointing dog mm-hmm. flushing mm-hmm. breed uh, brace. Mm-hmm. And every one of those little dogs, when they're done and they've done all their work, now, now Lynn Berlin, my B camera guy, he gets down on his knees and he backs up away from the guide because the next thing that's going to happen is the cocker is going to get a running start and jump into his arms and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing exactly, me hunting. That's exactly what they're like. Yeah. They, they want to be, in fact, Jay Lowry and Buffy both, when you go down to pick up the puppy, they encourage that that yeah. jump into your chest and they're in they're in you like they're tight right yeah yeah and it's it's a fact it's a fact so a good friend of mine jeff watt well a good friend would be an understatement at least my partner in crime bird hunting all over and he got a black female and named her i'm a keeper and we call it <laughs> We call her Keep, right? Yeah. And she was a one-year-old last year, and we did most of our hunting in green timber. And she probably picked up 100 and, 165 or so, I think, last year. Wow. That's a one-year-old, right? Yeah. And I'm like, wow. I mean, the ability of these cockers is mind-blowing. Okay. So I shot. Actually, it's coming out right now so whoever's ever listening the next issue of gun dog there's a black female cocker with a bunch of green heads on a tree <laughs> that's key that's keeper that's keeper and that's a raglan a raglan kennel field bred cocker okay jay lowry loved the photograph and i was at dallas safari club show with boss shot shells last year in january and i met jay and jay told me i'd really like to really like to get a cocker in your hands. And I said, well, I'd, I'd love one. And I said, just let me know when you think you have the right one and I'm, I'm good to go. 
Oh, he called me not long ago, and he goes, I, I got the puppy for you. And I said, perfect. What's What do we do here? And he goes, just just come down on this day and pick your puppy out. I said, what what number am I in order? You know, And he's like, no, you get pick of the males. Oh, and wow. I'm like, perfect, I'll be there. So my wife and I went down there, and you know, this, uh, being a bird dog guy, when you go looking at puppies, it's really not you picking the puppy out. The puppy picks you, right? Yep. I mean, that's the way it is. It really is. Well, this little guy, this, there was one that was obviously the one we were going to take home. It, that happened right away. So we name him Bosco. And most people think we named him Bosco because of boss company, boss shot show. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. That's not true. When my dad, my dad, he passed away. He had me late in life, and he passed away in 94. And so he was you know, old timer, you know, born in 20 and depression baby and stuff like that in Western Minnesota. Well, they had a farm dog, a family farm dog, and it was a border collie. Yeah. yeah. His name was Bosco and it had something to do with the Norwegian, something to do with Norway. And, and you know, I can't remember what exactly it was. Yeah. But anyway, so I had my heart set on naming Bosco anyway. It just happens to work with the shot shell company too. So I love it. Anyway, I picked this puppy up and I come home, Bonnie and I did, and I'm not kidding you, man, that dog has, he lit that, he lit the farmhouse up like you can't, you can't even imagine. And I've had a bunch of, a, a lot of dogs and I've had a couple great ones. Yeah. And this, this guy absolutely is, he's well on his way to being like, he's, he really is. He's talented. He's a blast. His personality is next level. Yeah. 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 No, that's, yeah. you know, I think part of that is breeding. I think part of it is the oh, breed. For sure. Oh, for uh, sure. But you said the, the dog picked you. How, how did you figure that out? Well, you know, you, you get down on the ground, yeah. you know, or you get, you get in the pen with them yep. and, and then you just, you watch them and, you know, and they get up in your lap and sometimes the way they look at you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you can tell that they like their way looking at, looking at you. What's, what's up you know who are you what is this what's going on here and they feel good you roll them over on their back you know and play with their belly a little bit and put them down and they turn around and they come right back come right back to you right yeah yeah then you come back the next day you come back the next day and they do it again and it's it's over you know i read something recently there's been some science lately where do they get these grants is beyond me but i want in on this stuff uh they, <laughs> somebody was doing research with dogs and, and and they figured out that when you come home your dog only for you not for everybody else in the family but only for the real owner will they almost tear up so you know their eyes shine mm-hmm. listen a little bit mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm thinking, I'm seeing that in your cocker already. I think that's happening. It happened on day one with you, and mm-hmm. maybe that's how you choose them right there. That could be it too, you know. I mean, it's just definitely, it's, it, I think it's clear cut. It's never been a struggle for me to pick a puppy up out of a litter. Yeah. Never. Uh-uh. Well, we're going to we're going to carry on with that because there's hey, there's never enough time to talk puppies. But I want to talk <laughs> a little bit about training and I know you you guys mm-hmm. are working hard on a lot of that and I like I said mm-hmm. the videos are looking great. Uh take mm-hmm. a moment, pour a coffee. I'll be back with you in 90 seconds. The rest of you don't go away because we got a lot more coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. Lee Chose will be sharing a lot more about dogs and photography. We're also going to talk seriously about 
the non-toxic ammo argument. And then we're going to share your thoughts on where your dog rides when you're going hunting. So stick around. First off, let me remind you that we are brought to you in part by sageandbreaker.com. Just wrote a magazine story for somebody. I I can't even remember now, but I highlighted Sage and Breaker's modifiable bore cleaning kit. Now, it's it's a kit, but it's all self-contained. You just open up a little drawstring bag, and there's the classic boar snake. But they have taken it to the next level with a brass brush and a way to, you know, interchange all this stuff depending on how much serious cleaning you need to do. Fast, easy, versatile. I keep one in my truck vault for every post-hunt cleanup. Of course, that's after the dogs get watered and checked out. You want to learn more about Sage and Breaker's accessories, including that modifiable bore cleaning kit, go to sageandbreaker.com. And quick reminder, if you are still interested, we got some room for you in Huron, South Dakota on the Fur Feathers Friends field trip, I'll call it another F in there. What the heck? You know, that is my effort to get everybody who's got a dog to take everybody who doesn't have a dog hunting for the first time for another time, bring back an old friend or a relative, spouse, kid, show off your dog in the Fur Feathers Friends initiative. Learn more at furfeathersfriends.com. Oh, speaking of fur, let's get back to that discussion about Cocker Spaniel puppies with Lee Kyost. Kyost. <laughs> Lee, Lee uh, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Now, um, I, he's brown, dark brown. Which, yep. It's getting mm-hmm. closer. I, I, You've seen them all, but you know that light brown? That's mm-hmm. I'm waiting for that dog to just show up on my porch someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't tell my wire hair that, but uh, so so you're working hard with this puppy, and I know you're working with a mm-hmm. pro, pro or two. Uh, I've seen the videos. What are the bigger challenges you're facing? Because you probably have worked with a million waterfowl dogs, and all of a sudden now you got this spaniel. Mm-hmm. Boy, big challenge. Um, the the, the I, I guess as far as photography goes, it's their little and the speed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you only get, you only get one whack. And here's another thing. When they're that fast, they kind of look goony when you're, when you're photographing them running. Right. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're like, they're dynamite, you know, like they they went off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are very nimble. Yep. Well, you, you, I, I can almost promise you, you'll someday you'll see a cover of them like, leaping i mean his water entry for a six-month-old is, yeah. is spectacular i mean yeah. um yeah they're just they're, their ability in the water and with ducks and i mean now you go i mean if do they have limitations well yeah sure they're tiny they don't have they don't have fat and hair to take you know it's not like we're going to go hunt on western rivers with ice flows or anything in them you know he's not going to do that kind of work but yeah early season blue wing teal and wood ducks and you know mallards in the timber when it's nice and warm out yeah for sure no problem 
You know, I I, I can imagine uh, maybe I shouldn't presume this, but for you that the, the bigger challenges with dog management are going to be in the uplands because, you know, you do you sit in a blind a lot and you, you know how that all works. Maybe it's just right. a mental adjustment you need to make. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about a lab and that's what I've had forever. Right. Yeah. And and I still have one. He's probably the he's I am fortunate right now. He's bar none the best dog I've ever owned. His name's Cap. He's an eight-year-old yellow male. Um, when you're duck hunting, your lab is always under command, hundred percent of the time. Think about that, right? Yeah. yeah. Cockers aren't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, he would be when he's duck hunting. Yeah. He will be, but when you go out in the upland world and like teaching dogs to quarter and keep them in close yeah. and yeah. all that, but in all honesty. I'm going out to, like, I don't want people, I, I do a lot with puppies. I love puppies, and I, I get them to a, a great place where they're introduced to everything, and they're semi-obedient, and they're just, they're ready, they're ready for a real pro to put their hands on them for a little while. Well, normally, it's been Tom Dockin. <laughs> right doc yeah, is yeah. doc doc did cap i mean my okay. yellow male i have yeah, right now and yeah. I mean, he really he's a he's a fantastic dog and then you some of those videos you just saw that's with mike weeben that's the mm-hmm. head trainer out at oak ridge kennel so i was with mike and he helped me with like you know they, they docking has that puppy program dialed in yeah that bird, bird and gun intro i mean it's just it's I hate to say it, but it's bulletproof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I brought I brought Bosco over there, and Mike took him, and we went through that. And he's like, "Holy cow, dude! This dog is he's this dog's a blast," you know. So I said, "Well, let's try this," you know. And we tried a little more, and pretty soon you got this dog that loves to work, right? Yeah. Then you just keep advancing him as long as they like that. But Jay Lowry invited Jeff Watt with Keeper, and myself, Bosco, to come out to North Dakota on the opener, pheasant opener, and hunt pheasants for three days. And I'm like, well, I'd, I'd love to. And then he said, I'll take Bosco back with me. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Jay will get him, and Jay will love Bosco, and that'll be a cool experience. And that, I don't know, Jay is like, I mean, those cock, I can't even, I can't even tell you how cool they are and how, what a, fantastic program Ryglin runs there and I mean if anybody out there is interested in a field bred cocker I mean get on the list there I'm you telling go. you to do it I'm telling you to do it now don't wait because it, it's only going to get harder <laughs> well I agree they've become quite fashionable and I mean that in a good way I'm glad yeah, to see yeah. it they uh, they've deserved their uh, day in the sun and uh, correct yeah yep and, they and earned I- it yep I, I would endorse uh, that very same sentiment, absolutely. All right, switch gears for a minute. Lee Chung's mm-hmm. uh, pro photographer. We're always out there taking really bad pictures. I've already confessed to that. Uh, it's probably going to cost me another story assignment, but that's all right. I got plenty. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were going to help us become better picture takers, Mm-hmm. What uh, you know? What are a couple things that you we probably haven't heard from anybody of of your skill level? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, uh, well, let, let's just talk about uh, if it's people or animals or yeah, or a scene. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then I'm going to go ahead and say this. Don't be afraid to shoot your iPhone. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. Well, I that's shoot what it. we I'm got. Photo- you know, I'm a, I'm a photographer and they blow me away. Yeah. I love shooting it. Like I said, though, you got to print it. <laughs> you can't just let it sit on your phone. Serious. Okay. So now let's talk about how to, what I would do. If you're going to take a picture of people, people hunting, if the environment is really where it's at, put your camera on. I think it's called 0.5. I think there's 0.5, 1, and 2.5 on, a, on an iPhone right now. Go ahead, 0.5. Hold it up in the air over your shoulders, over your head, and <laughs> tr- try to shoot. Try to shoot the whole. Try to get the whole scene, the epic beauty of where you're at. If you're interested in the person, put it on 2.5 and get low to the ground. Just yeah. get on the ground. Yeah. Get on the ground and maybe shoot through the grass. Get some grass in the foreground. Mm-hmm. If you're going to shoot a dog, put, like you got a dog on point or you've got your lab is holding a duck or uh, somebody's holding a fet, whatever. Get on the ground below the dog. Yeah. Put it, yeah. put it on portrait mode. Focus on the bird and, you know, the nose of the dog and then let that background fall off. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then if you're going to shoot men holding birds like a cool grip and grin, and I, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. I love them too. I, I'm not a huge fan of posting Yeah, a lot of stuff like that, but I do like shooting them for people. If there's men, get down low and shoot. Men look good when your lens is around the belly button or even a little lower. They look a little heroic. Women, if it's just a woman, they might not look might not be happy with shooting them low. You yeah. kind of got to get up a little yeah. bit. They, gals have hips, you know, and they, they, they tend to look a little better when you shoot them a little camera high. Yeah. But yeah. there's an, and then the other thing is take the image. I personally use an app called Photoshop express and it's, I mean, it blows me away how good they can get when you retouch them in Photoshop. I'm, it's mind blowing, right? Yeah. You do like adjust the levels and the contrast and then add some clarity and there's hue saturation in there. You can pick your color and brighten the green on a green head or the red wattle on a rooster or the beautiful yellow or orange sky. It's just a blast, but you got to print them. Yeah, you know, I, the more you talk about that, the more I realize there is a tactile sense that we don't use enough. And simply holding a picture in our hands probably, uh, re- it's like I was, you know, I still am a kind of a half-assed uh, musician. And so, you know, you try to learn song lyrics. And the way to learn song lyrics, write them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, you know, there's something, mm-hmm. to, you know, fingertips, they got nerves yeah. and, and right. you know, holding a picture probably does the same thing. Okay. How I'm, old are you? I, I don't know. How old I'm, are you? I'm, I'm your age. I'm right in 62? there. Yeah. So, so. Do, so what do you think about, what do you think the difference is between, because obviously the same age as I am, so you listen to the same music. Yeah. Do you remember what it was, do you remember what it was like feeling an album cover? Oh, all of the, I'm, I still look at them every day. Okay. I got What's the top the al- top five hanging up in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think about what do you think about like the phone? 
I well, told you, well, it's just, it's electric. It, it, dude, that's not an album cover. No, hold on, hold on. Lee, Lee Chose, by the way, great uh, founder of Boss Shot Shells, pro photographer. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. First, Lee, we got to go back. All right, everybody else, record albums were these big, black, round, flat things, <laughs> and you put it on a gizmo that would twirl around at that, ho- hopefully at the same consistent speed, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Mu- music would come out of it. And the, mm-hmm. jo- the joy of record albums was they came in this big 12 by 12 sleeve that had yeah. unbelievable art on it sometimes. Very, very, very influential in what I do for a living was was the bands of the late 60s and early 70s. Well, Very you know, influential in my life. I'm glad you brought it up because, uh, you know, I, I, I was a professional musician. I, I spent a lot of time backstage and in the wings in a lot of green rooms over mm-hmm. the years, either playing or, or pestering those guys for their work dues for the musicians' union. Um, mm-hmm. Of all the folks you shot over the years, because you got to be out front. Well, I did that a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I watched Alice Cooper hang himself three times. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But, oh, uh, yeah. But anyway, of all those folks you shot back then, who were some of the uh, the most fascinating or the best subjects or anything like that? Are you are you talking about, like... Rockers. Uh, the, the, oh, Your I really subject. never... I really never got to photograph mm. up 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 close any like Kid Rock would be the only, but that wasn't Kid Rock wasn't influential to me. I'm no. I'm talking about the Allman Brothers. Yeah, Gr- Greg and Dwayne. Dwayne yeah. died in '71, and Greg probably had as much influence on me as as anybody did. Led Zeppelin, Leonard Skinner is my favorite my favorite live band, studio band of all time, yeah. bar none. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, John Prine, my wife and I, <laughs> John Prine's probably our, he's probably our favorite ever. We used to love a band called the Amazing Rhythm Aces. Sure. Um, uh, a St. Louis um, band, I think. Oh, man, they were fantastic. Yeah, they they, were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was, that's one thing, you know, like in photography, people ask me, like, who influenced me? Yeah. Well, no photography influenced me. Yeah. None. And they said, well, where'd your influence come from? I'm like, well, being out there, being out there and doing it and wanting to capture it, but I really loved the old sporting artists, the, the, like um, Bishop and Benson and Lindbogh Hunt. That art that those guys made was what influenced what my photography looks like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 100%. That... And then, I, I'm not going to lie, guys like Greg Ullman and yeah. what they looked like. I loved those. I loved those bands. I loved long hair. Um, <laughs> I loved Harleys, and I do. I, I still do. Love well, it. You, you know, you know, all of that becomes a part of you, and you know, it's a, it, it becomes embedded in your DNA. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I remember watching Captain Beyond. Uh, come on to the stage. There's a band you'll have to look up. He entered the stage riding on an elephant. And, huh. uh, you know, they never went anywhere, but I, I admired that guy. Uh, and that was to open for Frank Zappa, my favorite band. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. 
you know, all that stuff happened. I, I interviewed Steve Rinella. In fact, it, it's a cover story this month in Hook and Barrel magazine. And Rinella, of course, we all know Steve as the meat eater and, uh, you yep. know, the, 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 the outdoor empire that he has created. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, but he started as a literature student. He got an MFA at uh, somewhere in Montana. So he's, he's a trained academic scholarly writer. Oh yeah, and, whip smart. Yeah, and, whip whip smart dude. Yeah, maybe you've worked with him. I, you know, that that was my first no, long term encounter no, with him. But not, no, not really. But, but yeah, I know, I but, know of him for sure. My point was, he. I said so. Same thing as you just answered, Lee. Who are your influences? He says, I don't, I don't watch outdoor TV. I don't read the magazines. Mm-mm. I don't read those other guys' Mm-mm. books or anything like that. I want to be influenced by the greats in my world, and my world is literature mm-hmm. so um you know it happens in different ways for different people but i really think that is uh th- that is what makes people fascinating mm-hmm. and uh and you're another example of that what kind of harley are you riding these days it's a well, it i mean it it's an old school looking bike that's new yeah, yeah. right because i don't i mean I really love shovels. Yeah. Old old shovels and knuckles, but uh, the maintenance I'm not I'm not that guy. I have, <laughs> I have I have I have to admit that. I mean I love them. I just love the looks of a shovel and I love the yeah. sound. Yeah. So don't, don't you though? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I grew, really do. I grew up with it. We had uh, yeah. well, a a few members of that club um, across the street when I was growing up. So uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of part of part of our life mm-hmm. yeah. so now i have a bike that looks old and is beautiful yeah but it's not old but all, all the all better. the mm, yeah cool mm-hmm. get on get on it right yeah okay well that's that's a great transition to our discussion about non-toxic now i want i want to talk because you know we're, we're all agonizing over this to a to a great degree it's mm-hmm. happening in california it's here you know that lee better mm-hmm. than most people because hopefully you're selling yep. ammo down there but eventually everywhere we're going to be shooting non-toxic even in the uplands and it's happening yep. on wildlife refuges uh, hmm. game, game management areas etc you uh you guys who wear a lot more camo than us um you're well aware of all of that and how it's going but now you're suggesting that even before it's required everywhere we mm-hmm. ought to we ought to mm-hmm. take a serious look at mm-hmm. this stuff now here's here's what i did I, I asked my followers um, how many shots they take in an average season. Because mm-hmm. when we first talked a, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, it's really not. I mean, yes, it's expensive. But over the course of a season, how much more is it going to cost you to shoot non-toxic shells in the field? Mm-hmm. Well, for most people, it's a drop in the bucket. They shoot less than 50 shells. Right. Over the course of the season. All right, so 50 shells at a buck a piece. All right. You know, that's that's like two Starbucks drinks these days, isn't mm-hmm. it? Think about it. Yeah. So so among other things, what are, what are the reasons we should, and what are your counters to the arguments like, oh, it's so expensive? Okay. Regardless of whether it's wetlands or wetlands or uplands, right? Yeah. I, we have this little initiative that we call unleaded, like go unleaded. Yeah. Right? yeah. Unleaded. 
for the wetlands, for the uplands, for all lands. If you, if you have the opportunity to get something that's so incredibly toxic out of the environment, why wouldn't you? Okay, now, now let's circle back to decades ago. I mean, like you said, you're the same age as I am. So you, you, you remember hunting and fishing. You remember your life in the outdoors. Who were the stewards of the outdoor world? Think about that. That would be dad and grandpa and uncles, and we policed our own, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we are, hunter sportsmen, especially hunters, are like the original conservationists. Well, we need to take that step right now and change narratives that are out there right now and start doing things that are right. Now, I'm going to, because cause I'm talking like this, I'll get hate mail or nasty. <laughs> I will. I will. I get nasty grams. And it'll be like, there are people that absolutely deny that lead in the environment has any effect on wildlife, non-game wildlife as well. We could, well, let's just talk about, about game species, let alone the non-game kill. There's a study out there, and it just came out a couple years ago. I believe it was done in Missouri by a, a well-known biologist, and I happen to know one of the biologists that did the under the research work on this, and it was morning doves. Mm-hmm. And I think there's – people could fact-check me on this one, but I'm usually pretty good on my numbers here. I believe there's 23 states that allow, in the lower 48 that allow morning dove hunting. Of those 23 states, last year's harvest was 11.1 million birds. A number of years ago, that harvest was 20 million. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 15 million died due to lead poisoning. Okay, so think about that. All right. Now, you, now, there are people that take the, the position that I don't believe that. I don't believe lead poisoning's ever done anything to, to ducks. I don't think they died of lead poisoning. Well, that's nonsense, okay? But nonetheless, you do have to fight that to try to help change the narrative. So what I try to tell people is it, it, it's going to be federally mandated. It's coming. It's like you said, it's coming and there's not a damn thing you can do to stop it. So do you really have to be told by the federal government what the right thing to do is? Really? Why wouldn't you want to get let out if there's a great alternative now? And that's the key. Back when, back when in 91, when they did the, when they imposed a ban on lead shot, you, we all know steel was absolute garbage at that time. Garbage, right? Yeah. It didn't kill, it didn't kill. And it was very, very frustrating for the duck hunters. Oh, and, I get it, it. And, and it caused a lot of them to get out of the game. Oh, or they illegally shot lead for years. Sure. Right? Let's, yep. I mean, let's, let's be transparent here. That's how bad it was. But now and somebody's going to say, well, you're just saying this because you own boss. No, that's not why I'm saying it. It is why I am boss, though. 
It is why I got into it, because if I could do one thing in my life other than raise great children and be known as a good friend to people, if there's one thing I could do, it would be to change narratives in our world, our sport, that I think are very, very detrimental to the long-term health of the sport. Very detrimental. Lead poisoning is just want get lead out of the environment. Come on, man. I mean, I had actually had one dude. He he told me he's going out to North Dakota, and he was gonna do. He was hunting sharp tail and huns in the western part of the state. And I'm like, what are you bringing along for a shell? And he goes, well, years ago this Pioki load, golden pheasant or whatever it was, came on and blah 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 was on sale, and he bought a whole bunch of it. And I said, dude, that's lead. And he goes, yeah, I see. You shouldn't be shooting lead anymore, dude. You should. Be, there's other alternatives out there, right? And his answer to me was, his retort was, nobody saved me any buffalo. <laughs> oh my God! I'm not shitting you, dude. That's okay? incredible. So, well, it it is incredible, but it's also very telling because that's out there. Yeah. And that has to go, right? So, so there are alternatives out there. And like all things that create great change in this country, it starts with the youth. They're, me, the ones that, they're the ones that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. With, you know, um, I used to have hair as long as yours, and, and we were there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, playing so you tuba. remember Vietnam? Right? Oh, God. <laughs> yes, uh, my number was a little high or a little low, I forgot, but knock wood. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I remember we protested all sorts of things in the president's office at the university. But um, So we'll get to that. But let's just make sure everybody understands Boss shot shells. How do we learn more about them and this philosophy that you're espousing here? What's your website address? It's bossshotshells.com. We're we're a direct-to-consumer company only. They're they're nowhere at retail. Yeah. We want to keep it that way because that allows us to make the very best shell for the very best price for everybody. I love it. We don't have, there's not deals, there's not pro staff where you get this and do you guys have a 40% discount? Like, no, 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 no. you're thinking about the box world, guys. We're not like that. Yeah. The cost, the cost is already out of the shell. There's no middleman markup. There's no giant retail markup. It is what it is. But I promise you this, there's no shell when you factor in performance and price that's even close. You know, and I just want to bring that up. I'll never forget the revelation I, I felt when somebody said, oh, we use the three-tier distribution system. And I'm, I'm thinking, what? What do you mean? Can't I just mm-hmm. buy stuff? Well, we sell it to uh, a, a, a wholesaler or a distributor. Mm-hmm. They sell it to a jobber or to a big box. Um, mm-hmm. So th- everybody there gets a, adds a little, and sometimes not so little, a little mm-hmm. bit more to the price. So by the time mm-hmm. it is on the shelf at a big box store, it's a lot more expensive than it could be. And so you're you're dealing oh. with that. And so are a lot of other mm-hmm. people. You know, you can buy all sorts mm-hmm. of things that way now. Mm-hmm. Now here's what I here's here's well, go ahead. Well, so. So what is it? Tell us about your shells, especially your shells that are appropriate for an upland guy. Okay. Let me, let me go through two things, though. All right. Because 
this is important as long as we're going to talk about boss because we don't do anything that does not have a clear benefit to the consumer. We don't have ill-advised product extensions that are quick money grabs to get. No, no, no. We make shells with clear benefit. So you have waterfowlers who have to shoot non-toxic, and you have upland hunters who don't everywhere. I mean, on WMAs and, you know, wetlands like that, things like that, they have to shoot a, a non-toxic load. But let's go Let's go to what, so you go, what's the clear benefit to waterfowlers? Okay. The industry standard for the past three years, or three decades, 30 years, 30-some, 30 32 or whatever, has been a steel three-inch BB for number two. Yeah. Sales prove that out. That's what it is. Okay. Steel is not an effective killer. It's just not. It's too light, right? If I took a ping pong ball and a golf ball and they both are about the same size and I bounced one off your forehead, <laughs> what one do you what one do you want to get hit with first? Right? So, you know, somebody a lot younger than somebody a lot younger that you and a lot younger than you and I who's never done it before looks at me and goes, Well, ping pong ball and I'm like, Why? Well, because it doesn't hurt. Exactly. Yeah, I never took a physics class, but even I know that. Even even I know that, right? Okay. So then they would go, okay, what should I shoot in lieu of this 3-inch BB or 3-inch 2 steel? I would say if you took a Boss copper-plated bismuth 3-inch number 5, you're going to have greater penetration, and you're going to have 100 more pellets per shell. So now you have pattern density. Pattern density and penetration is what kills. And so if you if, if there's a duck hunter out there listening, and you crippled a duck on the water, and it's swimming away, and you know how low they swim, and you're trying to kill it, and you're trying to kill it with three inch BB or three inch steel, boom, 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 reload, 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 boom, 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 you can't kill it. He's he's wending his way through the holes in your pattern, isn't he? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you don't have enough pattern density to do it. Yep. Okay, so. The clear benefit to a boss shot shell in the waterfall world is the, the one thing you're going to notice is far, far fewer follow-up shots, far a, a noticeable difference in lost birds due to crippling, far fewer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so therefore, it becomes, when somebody says, yeah, but it's more expensive, no, it's not. I can actually make a case where it's cheaper in the long run. How, how uh, I think I get it, but I'm just a musician. I can count to four. Mm -hmm. What's your argument for any non-toxic shot ammo and any non-toxic load being less expensive? In well, the benefits to wild. If you value wildlife, there's a difference between. Waterfallers and upland hunters. Waterfall, you have to shoot it. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so there you have your fighting steel. And steel's cheap. Yeah. It's cheap to make. Right? It's no good, but it's cheap. So there's lots of people that just want to go on that. Well, so here's my answer. If you cripple a duck or you cripple a goose and you lose it, does that have any value to you? It does to me. It, that hurts when I lose things. 
Unless you're the guy who got ripped off from all of his own buffalo. The buff- yeah, the <laughs> buffalo. He didn't get the buffalo. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. But in the upland world, oh, let's go back to waterfall. The, those follow-up shots I'm talking about. Okay? So let's say there's a cost difference of between a really, let's say a, a, one of the more expensive steel shells and a copper-plated boss. It really, I'm quite honestly, some of them are the same price. But let's say there's a 25 cent per shell or maybe even a little more difference. Okay, you're allowed five ducks or six ducks. How many shells is it going to take you to kill ducks? If you're shooting really good shells and you hit them, you're going to pick them up because they got hit hard. Steel, you're going to have follow-up shots. So every follow-up shot is... You're cutting into that thing that you called savings. The only time steel is cheaper is the day you pick it off the the shelf at retail. (laughs) From that point on, it becomes more expensive. Here's another thing. If, If something's cheap and it doesn't work, it's expensive. Well, that's the bumper sticker. Yeah. if If it's expensive and it works, it's cheap. And that's a fact. That's a fact in almost everything. Okay, now let's flip over to Upland. Okay. Obviously, in Upland world, we don't shoot shells like we do, like a snow goose hunter would. The benefit is you're getting lead out of the environment. And it's time we do that. That's it. Yeah. Why wouldn't we do that? Uh, and, and, so, and the same argument, I'm, that's the argument today in most locales. But the yep. argument in five or ten years is going to be: you have no choice. You got to shoot non-toxic. Shoot uh, a non-toxic so that's going to wh- work better. Wh- why don't we champion that one right now? Yeah. I seriously, yeah. I don't need to be told by the government what to do. I know what's right. I love wildlife and wild places more than anything, and I'll do anything to protect it. Well, anything. You got you you got an uphill battle. I'm for you on that. Let's go to the technical side for a minute because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. know that has all changed dramatically. The metallurgy that's involved in this stuff is way mm-hmm. different. When when a couple manufacturers introduced the first version of a bismuth uh, way mm-hmm. back, it was I think yep. it was brittleness was the biggest it issue. Tra- yep. So you, yep. you, when basically by the by the time it came out of the muzzle, it was in little pieces. Um, it would fra- it would fracture. So what what happened there, and then what's the advantage to copper plating on top of that? Well, first of all, our bismuth is alloyed yeah. a little bit, which helps with fracturing. Mm-hmm. But and then tumbled, our, we our shot is is beautiful. Like we don't have irregular looking weird shot. It's tumbled to perfection. They're round, and then they go through plating, and we boss owns the patent on plating high density metal Mm. so copper plating on that when we did it helped with penetration greatly in penetration and gel block test and then it helped with the uniformity of pattern it was just this almost like this game changing like oh man is this ever good right yeah you're stoked when you see it yeah okay so it's now you can over choke shells and get them to do underperform by <laughs> over choking. You can, you can, right? That's why we preach. You got a pattern. 
you have to put this stuff on paper. Yeah. You got to see, you have to see what you're doing. So I'm actually, uh, t- uh, Tuesday, I'm flying out to Missoula, Montana, um, with, uh, Courtney Bastion. She has this event called, or uh, she's her podcast, bird dog, babe. They, she has this woman's group out there. It's a grouse camp mm-hmm. and I'm going out there for two days to show them patterning and just talk about shot shells and dynamics of shot shells and bore diameter and choke and that relationship between those two things and the shell you pick. Um, though it's catching on. Yeah. And once people, once people are educated, it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Exactly. Yeah. Much, much of this is awareness. So I have to thank guys like you for having me on and let me talk about this because without you, it's really hard being direct to consumer to get your voice out there. Well, we can help you with that as well, and we'll talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. That's, right on. That's yep. Lee, Lee Jose. Uh, he is uh, with Boss Shot Shells, one of the founders there. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Lee, on that note, here's here's the one thing. You know, when I talked uh, with the uh, the leadership of the backcountry hunters and anglers. Yeah, BHA. Yeah. yeah. Land. When I talked Land, to Land yep. Tawny. I uh, I said, Land, you know, it seems like so much of your organization centers on beer, and and he got a kick out of that because they do they do a lot of social events, and I get it. Now, mm-hmm. you guys, the there is a boss attitude. You guys, yeah, we do. You mm-hmm. guys, uh, you know, you look at life slightly differently. Um, how would you how would you summarize that? I well, I I guess we have this you know, our tagline under boss shot shells is unmuzzled. Yeah. Right. And that kind of confused people for a while. They're like, <laughs> unmuzzled. Does that mean like a choke thing or whatever? Yeah. No, no, we're unmuzzled. I mean, we're going to speak the truth. The boss guys, we call them bossmen. That's yeah. only because ambassador was taken by everybody else. <laughs> so, but wherever we're at and even the advocates of boss, wherever we're at, it's just straight talk. Yeah. Right. And there's quite honestly, some of it's uncomfortable. People don't want to hear certain things. Yeah. But we have to we have to get these conversations out and on the table and we have to get let out. There you get the let out. Yeah, I love it. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Well, we could we will do this again, maybe in person the next time. Lee Mm -hmm. Chose BossShotShells.com. Lee, people want to see your photography should they go to your Instagram? Well, I mean, I haven't really made a post on Instagram for probably oh. like three years. Oh my god! But you'll see, you'll see some of it on Chose Outdoors Instagram. But yeah. look at bot, look at the Boss feed, and you'll see my work. And then, yeah. like I said, Sport Dog and Sport Dog and Benelli, and you'll yeah. still see my work. You know, um, the other thing, you know. I've made a habit now since I've been trying to become a better shooter uh, of looking on the inside of the magazines where they generally will give credit to the cover photographer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so keep your eyes peeled there as well, Mm -hmm. everybody. One more thing. One more thing for people before I go. I don't want to forget this. On on Boss's feed, at at Boss Shot Shells Instagram, if you direct message, I'm the one you're going to be talking to. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to talk to somebody that really doesn't understand or doesn't have the answer, can't make a commitment. I'm the one. Yeah. 
if anybody out there, your listeners, if anybody has questions on like what to shoot, this is my gun, what choke, what should I, I call me or direct message. Sometimes it turns into a phone call, but I'll get you dialed in. I promise. Well, you can't, you're not going to get that from the big guys. So take advantage of it while you can talk to a great guy, as you can hear right here, right now on the Upland Nation podcast. And we'll again down the road, Lee chose so so happy we finally connected thanks so much for being part of the upland nation podcast have a great season we'll debrief on all of that and more coming up but in the meanwhile be safe yeah, say hello to courtney out there and we'll uh, do and uh we'll talk uh sometime mid-season all right yeah that'd be great perfect right. take care now thank you now, the rest of us are going to talk about where our dog is riding in our rig during hunting season, and I think you'll be fascinated by some of the responses to that question. But first off, a couple brief commercial messages. First, from Pointer Shotguns. Yeah, new website, pointershotguns.com. There's a lot of my videos up there, some articles. They got some new models out there. And in fact, you heard it here first. Here comes a side-by-side. Yes, so if you're looking for that kind of an upgrade, they'll have one very soon, and I'm the guy who's field-testing it for them. Learn more about all of the things they have to offer you, including a new single shot for uh, maybe one of the very beginners in your family, pointershotguns.com. And hurry up. This is your last chance to sign up for the Burt County Bird Bounty benefiting the canine adoption and mentoring outdoors program that's my friends at pheasant bonanza the lodge out there in tecama nebraska camo is the organization learn more about them and sign up before october 1st at k-a-m-o-i-n-c.org camoinc.org Yeah, so I love the, first off, I love your answers, and I love asking these questions that cause, you know, a few people to think a little bit more about stuff on social media. I asked a while back, put a big picture of, uh, that That would be Buddy, a uh, long gone wire hair of mine in a old kennel I had back in the day, and I asked, does your dog ride in a crate? Does he ride shotgun in the back seat? Uh, and the answers uh, were a little bit eye-opening. Jake Tokosik says, on long trips, he's in his rough land kennel. On dirt back roads, he's up front with me as an extra set of eyes. Yeah, I never thought about my dog as a scout for that, but makes sense to me. Philip Urban, we're all jealous of your dog trailer. It's beautiful. Good job. Uh, David Vandegrift says, crate 99% of the t time. I get it. Uh, Jeff Whelan takes his dog. He rides shotgun on short local trips uh, and in everything else. He's in the crate. Let's see. Um, my Springer Duke is a world-class pheasant dog and needs special treatment. He is hanging on the front seat there, Dan McMahon, and I, I understand completely. Some of you go through the McDonald's drive through when your dog does a good job. If that's where he rides, all the better. Let's see. Roughland Kennel in the back of the pickup for Randolph Trailer. Uh, uh, Taylor, Randolph Tr Taylor. Uh, 
let's see here. Uh, a great picture here. Speaking of rough land, John Lewis crate in the truck bed with a canopy. Yeah, perfect. That's a nice uh, pile of birds in front there. And classy hat, by the way, very European looking hat there, John. So uh, keep up the good work. All right. Um, Don Williams says, my dog's in a crate. I don't let my kids run all over the car and neither does my dog. Uh, Dave DeSmither, my dog likes to sleep in the hammock in the backseat. I think I know what you mean. Kind of a, a, a seat cover that swings and covers up more than the seat. There are crates in the back if needed. Brian Reynolds, sometimes in a crate, sometimes in the dog room of my horse trailer. And then several people are putting their crates in the back seat of their crew cab pickups. And I'm, I'm working on that right now. East Coast Uplander says most of the time that's where his dog and some others along the same lines. Uh, working on that myself. There's one, James Fritz. Crate in the back seat. Hey, doggy. Good job. Thank you all for being part of the Upland Nation, contributing that. Yeah, I don't know that you realize that people think about that stuff after they see all of your suggestions. And uh, that's how we learn. That's how we share. That's how we become a community, if you will. Yeah, and this is how we become a podcast from the kind support of people like Trulock Chokes. Their address is truelockchokes.com. They are a resource, much like uh, Lee Chose talking about non-toxic shot. Truelock Chokes and all the guys over there have made a science of figuring out how to make those pellets come out of the muzzle in the right speed, at the right shape. And, you know, you take Lee's advice, you take Scott Truelock's advice, put it all together. All of a sudden, you got to fully functioning shooting system i've said it before and i'll say it again you want to improve your shooting overnight put some well-built true lock chokes in your muzzle replace the factory chokes learn more about what they have what in the way of resources from patterning to uh, how ballistics are uh, affecting everything you do out there at truelockchokes.com Thanks to everybody who made a comment, everybody who left a rating and a review. And thank you to all our sponsors from Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products to Pointer Shotguns, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and True Lock Chokes. Yeah, it's just about here. If you haven't gotten out yet, you will be soon. I am looking so forward to my first couple hunts, and you are too, I can almost guarantee it. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Linden. We'll see you down the road real soon.